Explode your to-be-read pile with The New Release Index, your new best friend for finding the best new books. Curated by the book nerds here at Book Riot, it will help you keep track of the upcoming books we think should be on your radar. You can filter by genre, what's trending among other subscribers, and save books to your own watch list. And you can check out the demo at bookriot.com slash new releases. That's bookriot.com slash new releases. Happy browsing! Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 141, and we're recording on October 27th. I'm Sharifa Williams, here with a return guest and friend of the podcast, Chanda Prescott-Weinstein, author of The Disordered Cosmos, A Journey into Dark Matter, Space-Time, and Dreams Deferred. And today, we are taking a look back at some of our SFF pop culture highlights so far. So this includes like books, adaptations, and other media unrelated to books, but honestly, everything seems to be related to books. If there isn't a, if it's not an adaptation, it probably has a book format of some sort. Uh, But we'll be talking about all that later. Uh, Before I get into things, I did want to give everybody a last chance to send in your questions for SFF gifting this year. We are going to have a holiday episode. It airs November 16th, and I'm pretty sure that this is the last opportunity. So definitely get your questions in in the next week or so. You can send them to sffyeah at bookriot.com. Chanda, how are you doing? I am both super excited and somewhat disappointed to be on a podcast number that's almost 12 squared, but not exactly 12 squared. (laughs) Of course you are. Of course you are. Uh, I didn't even think about the number. I'm like, I literally only look at the numbers until we get to around. So I'm like a hundred, our hundredth episode, our 200th episode, but I am not, um, I am not you. I do not think about them that way. Yeah. That's probably like the nerdiest feeling, but that is like pretty much all I remember from what you just said was 141. (laughs) That's hilarious. Well, it is a, a fortuitous day with episode 141 and all of the amazing pop culture stuff that's come out this year, this very strange year, as all of them have been. Uh, And so we're going to talk about our pop culture highlights. And before that, we're going to talk about news. But before that, I'm going to talk about our first sponsor. Explode your to-be-read pile with The New Release Index, your new best friend for finding the best new books. Curated by the book nerds here at Book Riot, it will help you keep track of the upcoming books we think should be on your radar. You can filter by genre, what's trending among other subscribers, and save books to your own watch list. And you can check out the demo at bookriot.com slash new releases. That's bookriot.com slash new releases. Happy browsing. Okay, and we're back. And I think I want to kick us off. I'm keeping the news pretty short. We've got a lot to talk about with our pop culture highlights. Um, So we're going to probably breeze through these a little bit. But I was really excited to see, I'm always excited to see news about Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, And Variety and Brent Lang, who wrote this piece, talked about how Wakanda Forever is tracking for a huge opening for a $175 million opening, to be specific. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Did you see the trailer for this one? Yes. I mean... I, and and it's and it sparked a lot of like debate about who the new Black Panther is. Like, is it Shuri? Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm really curious about that too because that is those are some shoes to fill. Like, I don't, I I can't even imagine. But I love Shuri, so TBH. I'm rooting for her. <laughs> I I obviously haven't seen the film yet, but. 
I, I think it's not going to be her because there was there was so much drama with Letitia Wright refusing to get vaccinated, and it caused like a holdup on the set. Apparently, oh, I um, didn't even and, know about that. Yeah, she was posting like some weird like anti-vax stuff on social media. I think, oh, like no. if I remember correctly, that's that's what happened. But there were some issues that I was like, you are not doing what Chadwick Boseman would have done, <laughs> like. Oh no! You just totally Why? blew it. It's disappointing because she's such a great performer. So I, I will be curious to see how how the film goes and and where she goes from here in the franchise. Yeah, I love the character Shuri. Um, I can never speak to the actors, and you know, there's always something it feels like, and I'm disappointed to hear that. Um, I'm still excited to see this movie because it was a uh, was watching the trailer was very tearjerkery. Um, if that's even a word, it's not, but I'm just gonna say it and make it up. But I'm kind of not surprised that it's tracking to make so much money on opening. I feel like, you know, the first movie got so much attention and so many people were excited about it, me included. And it got a lot of uh, views. And so I'm not surprised, especially with people like us wondering what happens now, what happens with Chadwick Boseman gone, um, and how is this franchise going to play out without him? He's such a huge part of the movie and his character meant so much for so many people. And I know a lot of people were heartbroken when he died. So I'm just hopeful that it is successful and that whoever, you know, fills his shoes does an amazing job of it. But I think one thing that I'm really excited about actually is I guess the anti-hero for the film, or that sort of seems to be the direction things are going in, is N Namor, who is played by Teno Huerta. And I am really, really excited to see how he's how he as a character is going to be represented and I, just to see kind of this intersection of black and brown uh, in, in kind of an Afrofuturist um, perspective on film. So that's that's one aspect I'm really excited about, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It, just seeing how everything develops, to, and I had forgotten about that character, um, but, you know, I love an antihero. That is uh, one of my favorite things. But I hope that... Uh, I get to see it right away and that nobody spoils it for me and that it is as wonderful. I try to like keep my hopes and anticipation a little down because I never know what to expect uh, when with sequels especially, but I'm looking forward to it. I mean, my household went all out. We rented a movie theater so that we could watch it how we wanted to watch it. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> so I've, I've invited a few friends to join us because we're allowed to have a certain number of people in the theater with us. But basically, we're, we're in a community where people aren't really masking anymore. And we just wanted to be able to focus on, you know, the film and not like getting sick. So we just decided this is a big enough event that we were just going to do it. So that's how excited we are about it. <laughs> That's such a great idea. I honestly waited until the first movie was out of theaters uh, because it was pre-pandemic times, but I I can't remember. Was it pre-pandemic times? There was something weird. Like, I didn't really want to watch it in in Portland. I, I was just going to say, I think I, I think I could take a guess about maybe why you waited. Um, <laughs> I mean, I do think, you know, this is something that we should be honest about for for those of us, for people of color living in communities where there aren't necessarily a lot of people of color for black yeah. people. This is like a special movie. And you don't want some kind of weird like microaggression to happen to you while you're trying to have like this Afrofuturist experience, right? 
So yeah, I I can totally get that 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 might have been a factor. It was pre-pandemic times because like I dressed up <laughs> for it and went to the movie Amazing. theater. Yeah. yeah. Ah, that's so good. That's the like I do feel like I missed out on some of that community feeling. I wish I had uh, been in a different space for it. And you know, if I had been in LA, I would have been down in those theaters immediately. But there you have it. I will definitely be going to the theater if all is well and safe uh, for me this time around. It is definitely a big cinematic movie that I need to like see on the big screen. So I can't believe you. You actually got to rent out a theater. That is amazing. I, I will say this is not something like because, you know, it costs money. It's not something we would usually do. It happens to be that I won a writing prize recently, so I decided to invest some of that money into going That's to see. So this is like a, a reward for for winning the prize. So I totally understand not everybody has the option to do this, and it's probably, I don't know, the last time for the next 30 years that I'll do something like this. But you know, the novelty of being able to do that like once in your life. So that's part of it. It's not even about the movie. It's just the novelty of I rented a theater one time. (laughs) That's totally worth it. I mean, this is the movie to do that for. So. Okay, well, let's move on to the next story. And this is a short one. There was, oh, there is a winner of the 2022 Ursula K. Le Guin Prize for Fiction. And I think both of us are unfamiliar with this title. It is by Khadija Abdallah Bajabur, and it's The House of Rust. It sounds fascinating and very in line with what you might expect from uh, Ursula K. Le Guin Prize because it has a very speculative introspective sound it's published by gray wolf press and it's about um a young person aisha who sets out in the company of a talking cat and a boat made of bones to rescue her fisherman father this is the description i'm reading off of the page that i'll link to in the show notes but this is a debut novel so there have been so many great debut novels coming out recently that I have loved and that have introduced me to so many great authors. This author is completely new to me, so I'm really interested into looking into this title. Um, And there were also two finalists named in this prize, How High We Go in the Dark by Sequoia Nagamatsu and The Past is Read by Catherine M. Valente. And both of us, it sounds like, are big fans of How High We Go in the Dark by Sequoia Nagamatsu. Uh, Yeah, I just really, I think Sequoia Nagamatsu is fantastic. I I like the way that his brain works, I think. (laughs) And he also just seems like, he seems like the nicest guy. But I, I, I really, like, his short stories are also fantastic. Um, also great name, like Sequoia Nagamatsu, like just uh, a great name. <laughs> it just makes me think of being in California in nature. Yes. Yes. Sequoia. So great. Exactly. I think that's we're clearly biased because we're Californians. Yeah. But anything with Sequoia <laughs> in it just sounds great to us. <laughs> and I feel like a lot of the stories in How High We Go in the Dark were based around California. I'm pretty sure at least a few of them were. Uh, So again, even more biased. And I've talked about the short story collection on this show and how amazing it was. I think it might have been one of my most anticipated books of the year. I could be wrong about that. But is this where we go when all we were is gone? Is that the one that you're talking about? You actually remember the names of the short stories? Um, no, because that's, I do not. That's the name of the collection, the 2016 collection, which is like, oh, I, he has oh. these very interesting like titles for, for his books. Oh, no, I have not read that one. I thought some of the stories were based in LA, but I could be wrong. Yeah, anyway. I just, I, I, I have to say, I think that titles are a weakness of mine. And so I'm always just in admiration of people who have good titles. 
I am too. Sometimes it takes a whole marketing team of people, I assume, and sometimes people just have that knack, which is fantastic. And this title is fantastic. Uh, Not to take away from the House of Rust, which also sounds amazing, and I definitely want to pick it up. I know I've read some books from Grey Wolf Press that have been amazing, Um, so huge congrats to Khadija Galabajabar. Yeah, I really liked, you know, I've been really interested in citations for awards recently, and I really like the citation that the the jury gave um, to to House of Rust. Um, just, I really liked the phrase arresting in its wisdom. Like that by itself mm. made me be like, oh, I if I read this book, maybe I'll be smarter on the other side. So definitely, I think that they did an amazing job of making sure that this was a book that people who might not have otherwise heard about it do actually hear about and think about reading. Yeah, absolutely. I love a good introspective read that makes me sort of just sit there in silence after I close the book. It doesn't always happen. It doesn't happen terribly often, to be honest. But when I hear of a book that, you know, promises any of that feeling. I'm always into it. All right. Well, congratulations to Bajabur and the finalists, Nagamatsu and Valente. And my last little bit of news is adaptation news because we can't get through an episode of the show without talking about adaptations because they are all over the news lately. Um, And this one is an adaptation of a book I've talked about probably a lot on this show, Never Let Me Go, by Kasuo Ishiguro. And this is a new adaptation. I know there is a, uh, you might be aware of a film adaptation that was pretty recent. I watched it it was all right. Um, but this is actually a drama series. And the Hollywood Reporter wrote about it. Rick Porter is the writer. And I had no idea this is this was happening. It sounds like it was just greenlit by FX. And it also sounds like it is kind of a departure from the original text. It's more inspired by or loosely based on the book. So it's going to stream on Hulu, and it's coming from writer and showrunner Melissa Iqbal. And this is a series that follows a, it's a modern science fiction story, and it actually takes the story of Never Let Me Go and follows a rebellious teenage clone who escapes from the boarding school where she and fellow clones are kept hidden from society. She's living undercover in the outside world. So if you've read the book, you already know this is a departure. Uh, And I don't want to spoil anything, even though it kind of is in this uh, description. But this teenage clone sets into motion events that end up sparking a revolution and test the boundaries of what it means to be human. I'm reading from the description here. So... Very different from the novel, and I think this kind of reminds me of, you know, the sort of direction they took The Handmaid's Tale for Hulu as well. I think it was a Hulu show. Um, And I don't know. I don't know what to think about this. I really loved Never Let Me Go, so I might be a little bit hesitant and trepidatious about a series that kind of takes some of the core ideas but goes in a very different direction but I think maybe if I just let go of the original text this could be something I enjoy are you familiar with this title at all yeah, so I was just going to say this is where I publicly reveal that I have never read the book I have not seen the movie <laughs> I don't know anything yeah. about it I, I can say that there there's another adaptation that's recently been announced that I'm like super stoked about. But yeah, this is one where I'm kind of in the backseat, just kind of watching everyone else react to it. Yeah, it's um, 
I don't know why. I think Never Let Me Go was one of the first books I read that was about boarding school students, like gave me a lot of the things that I used to really look for in science fiction and particularly fantasy, I guess. Still do, be honest. You still like those boarding school books. (laughs) (laughs) Calling me out on the show. That's okay. I do. I do love them. I love the magic of boarding schools. I used to be somebody who wanted to go to boarding school because I don't know. I had very uh, strange notions about what that would actually look like. Uh, But this one did something so different with the boarding school story. I didn't expect what was coming. I didn't expect the book to make me sort of pause and just to be so quiet, which, you know, this is my first Ishiguro read and I didn't realize that that was sort of his thing to just be quietly compelling and I loved everything about it the film was as I said fine like I sort of forgot that I watched it for a minute because it was just one of those yeah it's it's interesting I've seen I've read the book I know the story it didn't give me anything different or extra um so I don't know I am willing to keep an open mind about this one. I'm more curious than anything else, I suppose. And we'll see if it actually gets to Hulu because one never knows in these times. All right, well, that's our news. And before we start talking about our pop culture highlights, I'm going to let you hear about our next sponsor. All right. We are back. Uh, Chandi, do you want me to kick us off? I can't remember what order I... You're in charge. It's your show. Okay. I'm just the guest. (laughs) Trying not to mess things up. (laughs) (laughs) You never do. You never do. Uh, Well, this one might be interesting to you as well. So Chanda and I have been friends since forever. um, For anybody who doesn't know that, we're... We've been besties since we were like four years old. We lived next door to each other. So over our- 30 years. <laughs> oh. <laughs> decades we've lived. Decades. decades. Yes. <laughs> and decades more we will. So there's that too. But <laughs> so a lot of our like pop cultural experiences, we've had some overlap for sure. And I think Canadian TV is a big one uh growing up Degrassi like, forever <laughs> yes yes just like all the Nickelodeon shows from the 90s and I suppose even the 80s I can't even remember when Nickelodeon started up this but. is why I can't take Drake seriously as like a hardcore rapper because he's just Aubrey like, right <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness oh Degrassi Well, one of the shows that I used to love when I was young was Are You Afraid of the Dark? And, you know, there's nothing. I think she says that she used to love it, but I really think that this went into obsession territory. (laughs) (laughs) I just need need to put that out there. Anyway, please continue. I love, I have loved horror for so long. And there was so, there was just something about Are You Afraid of the Dark? And, I know that they did. I only recently learned this because I was snooping around. Um, I think that they did like a reboot of Are You Afraid of the Dark? And I never watched that. But on a whim, because Halloween was approaching, I decided to watch this Netflix show called The Midnight Club. And it legit gave me those Are You Afraid of the Dark vibes like a group of teens in this case so first of all I should say this show is meant for adults I'm 99% sure I did not realize that going in because it's a group of teenagers but they're like 18-ish so it's this group of eight older teens who are living in hospice they have a they have terminal illnesses um, each of them. 
And by the second episode, that is when I realized this is meant for adults because there's all sorts of swearing and like they just like the the horror in this is sometimes super gruesome and actually horrifying. And the reason I pick this as a highlight is because I am always looking for a show or a movie that will actually scare me because a lot of things do not anymore. I think I have like done something to myself over years of watching horror and reading horror and I have dulled the senses. So it's hard for me to find something that really scares me. And this show did. Uh, So it's a series. It has 10 episodes. The finale is already out. It just came out recently. And so this group of teens, every night they meet at midnight, as you might have guessed, to share these scary stories. So you get these horror stories that they are telling, each of them. And it's nested, the horror stories they're telling are nested into this bigger horror storyline that is grounded in the teen's reality at the hospice, what appears to be this sort of haunting that's happening at the place, and some skeletons in the closet, in effect, some bad stuff that went down at the hospice way back when. So these are based on the books by Christopher Pike, which is an even bigger nostalgic throwback because once I graduated from reading Goosebumps, I immediately went on to Christopher Pike books and I loved how much more gruesome they got. And I remember actually being on a family vacation and I was reading one of these Pike books uh, and the tour guide who was taking us around asked me if I was reading a teenage romance book. And I was very much like in a scene where this woman was locked in a scalding hot shower. It was a very like Nightmare Before Elm Street moment. And I was like, uh, no, not quite. (laughs) So (laughs) that's what those books were like. Uh, I never read The Midnight Club, which the series is adapted from. I I didn't get to that before I moved on to other things. But again, it seriously has Are You Afraid of the Dark vibes. And I remember, like, especially one of the things that was great about these older series um, on Nickelodeon is that it just always had a really diverse cast. And this series very much does. It has that 90s Canadian... TV vibe, and I thank the Canadians for their many contributions to our upbringing. And this cast is actually great and really interesting. So the main character that we follow, even though all of the characters have their storylines, one character in particular is who we're following, Ilanka, who's played by Iman Benson. And she's the newest member of this group. She's just arrived. She's still really coping with the fact that she's um, she has a terminal illness. Like, it's all very new to her. She doesn't know what to do with the terror she feels about what's going on in her body and then the terror she feels as she's in hospice at this strange place. Um, but it's very found family also. There are some really, like, feelsy, uh, you know, like um, for mo- there were moments where I definitely like had some tears in my eyes. So it gets you in the heart as well. But then Ilanka's curiosity and her heart take the group down some really frightening and hopeful avenues. So it's just amazing in all sorts of ways. And one interesting fact, uh, there's a Teen Vogue interview Uh, between the writer Chelsea Greenwood and Ruth Codd. And Ruth Codd plays Anya in this series. And Codd's character is like, you know, you learn to love her. She is super mean. (laughs) She is like an absolute mean girl at the beginning. But Codd in the series is an amputee um, and in real life is an amputee who built this big following on TikTok with her sharp wit and humor. And she got cast in this role with no previous acting experience. And there are actually quite a few debut actors in this mix. There is also a veteran 
and one of my favorite final girls, Nancy Thompson, in A Nightmare on Elm Street herself, Heather Langenkamp, who plays Dr. Stanton, who's the head and founder of this uh, place, Brightcliff. So it's got a lot of things. It, it comes from Mike Flanagan, who did the Hill House and Bly Manor series, which, you know, you can say are adapted from a book, but really are super different from uh, like Hill House is super different from the book itself. But Mike Flanagan obviously knows horror. And one of the great things about this show is that it is also about the act of crafting horror because these kids are coming together and talking about the craft of making up these stories. So super good uh, cliffhanger ending, fair warning, but I really enjoyed it. And I definitely had to keep the lights on at night because I was scared. <laughs> Man, that yeah. Okay. I don't know if that's my scene. Um, <laughs> well, you know, the funny thing no. is like I watch a lot of like horror now, right? And I watch yeah. a, a lot of these types of movies, but yeah. I am, I, I don't. I don't. I don't want to. I. I still don't want to watch anything that makes it like hard for me to walk around the house. <laughs> yeah, this one. I don't know. Like everybody has different things that scare them. I can't like. I can't put a name to what it is that scares me about this show. Maybe it's just the confluence of everything. Like you know, obviously, grieving and coping with real life things wrapped into the actual terrifying stories that are told. I think like all of that, just the whole package kind of gets me. I I also feel like it's a, a strangely cathartic experience, but it is definitely, definitely not for everybody. And if it's not anybody's thing like if you're listening and you check it out and you're like this is too much in whatever way totally understand that because it's really frightening on many levels I will say the one movie or yeah I guess it was a movie that I've seen in the last like couple of years that did kind of um shake me in my like everyday life was actually a four it was about a 45 minute movie it was called host and (gasps) it was a seance that takes place entirely in zoom so like you basically have like zoom on your television and i swear to god if that movie had been any longer than 45 minutes like i'm not sure my heart could have taken it you made me watch that and I'll never forgive you. <laughs> <laughs> but it was so good, right? Like, it was so well done. I was shocked at how good it was. I honestly, when you told me the premise, I didn't expect much still, but it super delivered on the terror. It Especially really did. Lockdown. Like, <laughs> we yeah, all yeah. are on Zoom all the time. Like, exactly. No. <laughs> Exactly. I mean, I actually, I hope that they make a second one because that's definitely one that they could do a part two. And oh, yeah. there's, there's almost certainly things that they didn't try. And also, you know, we kind of don't know what happened at, at the end, right? Like they're, they, they definitely left it in a way where you can decide that you, you have a pretty good sense of what happened at the end, but it could also be open-ended. So Mm, I actually hope that there's a second one. But I think it did kind of make me rethink like, oh, man, like, you know, sitting on these Zoom meetings all the time. It just felt different for a little while afterwards. Yeah, it really did. I I actually jumped at one point in that movie. Yes. There are many moments that were like jumpable. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I always feel like slight shame and embarrassment in those moments, but also it's great when that happens because it means it got you. <laughs> yeah, I think I think again, just from a filmmaking perspective, that was really impressive because they really do do it all kind of on Zoom. And um they even use some of the things that you know, we play around with on Zoom for fun, like the backgrounds or, you know, the little animations that you can mm-hmm. put over your like Snapchat style um, animations. 
and hats and that kind of thing. And they really use all of that to effect where you're like, oh, that stuff is scary. That stuff's not fun. <laughs> yeah. If you have Shudder, I believe it was on Shudder, right? I'm pretty sure it was on Shudder, which like yeah. I am a Shudder devotee. Like they're not paying me to say that. I will just say that I'm a Shutter <laughs> devotee. I really like I like the app in particular. I have I'm a Roku user. And I like the app in particular because they basically have these kind of like three channel style setups where you can just turn the app on and they have like movies as playing. And it's like back in the this is I'm old, right? <laughs> so it's like back in the day where, <laughs> where you turned on the TV and you were in the middle of the movie and then you just decided whether you were going with it or not. So you don't have to make choices because they've made choices for you. And I shout out to Shudder for doing that. I appreciate them. Yes. If you are into horror, that is basically all they do. So I love it. Well, why don't you tell us about your first highlight? Yeah. So I have recently been um, – and this is going to be kind of embarrassing to admit in public, I have been watching all of the Alien movies for the first time. Um, well, okay. So let me let me back up and say that I have actually seen Prometheus, which is one of the – it's a recent Alien franchise movie, yeah. but it's one of the prequels. I have seen Prometheus several times because I'm kind of obsessed with it. I oh, just, wow. I had just had not seen any of the other movies. <laughs> <laughs> Prometheus is so different, in my opinion, from some of the other movies. But I'm curious about what you've been thinking. About I don't know. I don't know if this is like my like I I'm Jewish and I like origin story and I'm a cosmologist, yeah. so I just like I'm prone to liking origin stories because Prometheus is like an origin story in a sense, right? Yes, yes. Whereas like the very first, now I know the first Alien movie, you're kind of stepping into the middle of the storyline. You don't know where these aliens have come from. You don't really know like what is their tech? Like they they seem to have this tech, but they also seem kind of like giant, stupid insects. But you know, it's one or the other; can't be both, right? <laughs> so there's like a lot that we don't understand. And I think the other thing is is that I am. Um, I think that the first movie, the first movie, I expected because I've seen a lot of like I don't know B movie style like sci fi films, etc. I yeah. wasn't expecting something that was so deeply cinematic. Like I didn't like mm. Ridley Scott, like that's a deeply like that's a like I'm going for my Academy Award. Like if he was making that today, that would be people would be talking about, well, is this an Academy Award film? Like, you know, is is Sigourney Weaver going to get the Academy Award? Like that's that's how people would be talking about it. And so I think it was also kind of interesting to time travel to that moment in cinema. And, um, you know, for me as, as a physicist who works at the intersection of like particle physics and astronomy to also see how space travel was being portrayed at, in that time. And I, I did not realize, because I don't think that this comes out very strongly in Prometheus, that the entire franchise is like this critical commentary on, uh, about corporatism and commercialism and the commercialization of space. I had no idea. <laughs> Amazing. I am so glad because I, you know, I was surprised when I heard about this off the show, of course, um, because it seems so up your alley in some ways. And I won't say that about all of the Alien movies because there are always duds in every uh, franchise, but like that part of it. I thought would be interesting to you. And it's so, they do it so well at a, you know, a time when I don't think we got that a lot in science fiction. Yeah. I, you know, the interesting thing is I think maybe the worst movie out of all of them, and I will be honest and say, I haven't seen Alien Covenant yet, which I guess is like the sequel to Prometheus. So it's also a prequel. I am, but I think the worst movie out of all of them was probably Alien Resurrection, which was the last one I'm featuring Sigourney Weaver. Um, oh. But I actually think that that was in some ways, that was the most fun to watch her on screen because they were just like, hey, Sigourney, just be weird and a little bit creepy. <laughs> 
And you could tell she just loved it. And it's like so fun to watch her just be like this human with alien DNA hybrid thing that's happening that still has all these human impulses, but also definitely has a little bit of space insect going on inside of her. I vaguely remember that when I know I watched it in the theater and I was like, what is going on? But that's so true. Like Sigourney Weaver is like, I just watched Ghostbusters again and I was like, she's actually a great character actor. She like really embodies those, especially those weird roles. Like she's so good. Uh, And that's probably why, you know, any... Well, that's not true. I was going to say any movie, any alien movie without her isn't that great, but that's not true because I like Prometheus as well. I think another origin story that I would like to see, and I guess it wouldn't really be a science fiction movie or at least not an alien science fiction movie. I want to know Ellen Ripley's backstory. Like, Mm. how does she end up in that first movie in the first place? Like, how does she end up on this journey hurtling through space as kind of, I think she's second in command on the ship, right? Um, Yeah. And she's not a soldier, right? This is like part of the storyline in the first movie. And really it's part of the storyline of the the first and second movies that she is forced to transform herself into a soldier. Um, and, And part of the journey that we go on with Ellen Ripley is that, uh, she has this capacity in her um, and she has this incredible drive to survive. But I think I want to better understand like why, like what's motivating her to try and survive all of this? What is she trying to get back to? Uh, I So I would be totally interested. I don't know if that's something where maybe it's not actually technically about Ellen Ripley, but I, you know, writers who are listening, please write that that novel where it's basically the Ellen Ripley origin story because I think that that would be yeah. really interesting. What kind of like weird and potentially messed up childhood did she have? Um, or like, what is the United? What are they called? The United Systems? What is the United Systems? Like, what's that political history? I mean, I'm showing my my biases in terms of the things that tend to interest me. But there's an interesting political history there. So I would love to see someone write that. I would do. There is nothing, there are a few things more satisfying than a really well-told origin story. And I think Ripley's, like, that would be absolutely fascinating. Be a very different sort of story, I think, but a really compelling one. She's such a great character. All right. Well, I'm going to talk about my next one, which is a big, big movie that I think a lot of people, well, definitely a lot of people watch. It's everything, everywhere, all at once. And I say that because I was just reading uh, news stories about the movie in preparation, and it was a huge success for the production company. Um, And it kind of came through as like, it seemed like it was going to be like an indie sort of movie, but it really blew up and just became this massive blockbuster. And it took me a long time to get to watching it because it was one of those moments where everybody was talking about it and everybody was like hyping it up to the point where I was like, there is no way I am not going to be disappointed in this movie. And it turned out I was I was wrong. Uh, so this is a movie, if you haven't seen it, that is very multiverse based. Uh, it's a movie where there are infinite possibilities And the potential for infinite possibilities is explored. And it follows Evelyn. Evelyn, I can't say names today. I don't know what's wrong with me. Sorry, everybody. Evelyn, (laughs) who is a Chinese-American immigrant who's running this uh, laundromat. And the challenge here for Evelyn in her reality, the reality she understands and knows is that the laundromat is being audited by the IRS. And also her husband is trying to serve her divorce papers. 
And she doesn't even have time to look at the divorce papers and to really consider what's happening around her because she's just all over the place. She has so many things. She's multitasking. Her life is just like a bit of a mess. And she also has her father, who is a big personality and can be a challenging personality as well. He's just arrived from Hong Kong. Her daughter is um, a lesbian. She's been trying to get her mother to accept her girlfriend. And so there are all these things happening around her. And then Evelyn, as she's trying to problem solve and ignore all of the issues in her life and confront, you know, the problems she's facing, she has this experience that pulls her into another universe and into another life and into a bunch of lives. And it becomes this big, messy, boisterous, wild ride where Evelyn sort of is forced to confront all that her life has presented her and to really take a look at the people around her and to consider how she interacts with the people in her life, her loved ones, etc. And it was just this huge, wonderful ride that I have not stopped thinking about. It was so well cast and it explored so many different things. It was written by the Daniels. I had not known about the Daniels before, but that's Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert. Um, and they both came into making this movie. I, I listened to this interview with them. And they came into the movie like not knowing what to expect and kind of doing a riff on Douglas Adams and Kurt Vonnegut and produce this thing that they it sounded like they could not have expected it to do as well as it did um and everything about it is just so interesting it's like no i guess super person movie i have ever watched um and i am always excited to share it with people and to convince people to watch it. So that was a great one. I actually still haven't seen it yet because I've been kind of waiting for the right moment. Yeah. So I can't say anything. I am I do keep getting asked about it because of the multiverse storyline and because I'm a theoretical physicist. I am <laughs> But I'm not a string theorist, so I think like maybe multiverse is like less compelling for me. But I get that like it's very much part of like the um the science fiction zeitgeist right now, right? Like with the Avenger films, there was kind of like a, a multiverse like time travel storyline thing going on. So yeah. I, I I mean, I will just say I love Michelle Yeoh. I think she's a genius. She's so good. So I'm glad good. she's finally getting her flowers as an actor now because I think people appreciated her as kind of like an action f figure. But I don't know if people really appreciated her for her acting chops. And yeah. I just like, you know, I am a huge Star Trek fanatic and she has just been fantastic on Star Trek Discovery. And the range that has been required of her on that show because – um, for reasons I don't want to spoil it for any, anyone, but she basically has to play two characters on the show. And mm. they are in many ways polar opposites. And she just displays extraordinary range throughout both of them um, where you you just see this like the facial expressions, the whole thing. It's just, it's incredible. So I am super excited that, you know, she's really a contender for awards this year. And I hope she, she, I don't even have to see the movie to know that like at this point she's just owed. So <laughs> that's kind of my it. feeling about it. Yeah. I support, she is a genius. She embodied that like she was that character just like ugh, she ne she needs to win some awards uh, i really feel like 
let me just like wax on a little bit more about my my passion for for Michelle Yeoh as a performer. I think that one of one of the things that she's so successfully done as as a professional and throughout her career is that Asian women are often cast in like one of two roles, right? They're like either the dragon lady or they're like meek. Mm-hmm. And she has just refused that typecasting in both directions. And I think that that is really powerful and important and not just as a matter of representation for for Asian women on the global stage, but I think also, you know, just more broadly for all of us, a representation of you get to choose what face you show the world and it doesn't have to be what the world expects of you. And I think that we just need that reminder like every single day. And so that's one of the things that I really love about the professional choices that she's made. And I really appreciate that about her. That was uh, beautifully said. I, I Thank absolutely you. agree. And I want to see her in more things. And I hope this is just like the doorway to even more success for her because she absolutely deserves it. And I love to see that representation on the screen. All right. And on that note, let's talk about Predator. <laughs> Which also I just I just watched all of the Predator movies. So I should say my original plan was I was going to watch all of the Alien movies and the Predator movies in mm-hmm. order so th- and also watch the Alien versus Predator movies as part of it. That didn't end up happening. So I still have to watch the Alien versus Predator movies. Although I've been told that actually they sort of take place in a different universe. So I haven't really gotten myself out of sequence in any serious way. Yeah. I am so intrigued by the Predator movies. And I feel like the Predator movies are so confused and struggling. Like they're doing this kind of anti-colonial like the American military are the Predators. That's why I'm... The predators are constantly fighting with you guys because you guys are predators too. Like there's that narrative, but then there's also um like this this like intense racism in the Predator 2 movie, like the just like the stereotypes about like the Jamaican gang yes. and the Mexican gang. But at the same time, while I was watching Predator 2, which stars Danny Glover, and he is carrying the film as the lead by himself, right? So it's not like Lethal Weapon where it's like joint with Mel Gibson. Yeah. That this was maybe only the third like mainstream produced for white people movie that was ever made with a black man carrying the show, carrying the film as the lead action figure. So the only other ones I could think of were Beverly Hills Cop with Eddie Murphy and Action Jackson with Carl Weathers, who is also actually in the first Predator movie. Um, So that was something I just found all of those dynamics really interesting for like the early Predator movies. Um, The last Predator movie, Prey, is like I'm not allowed to cuss on this show, right? So I'm just gonna, <laughs> I'm just was was awesome. <laughs> Insert an adjective. Fill in the blank. <laughs> fill in fill in the blank. But really, just I'm again. I don't know. It's me and like it's not really an origin story, but we do get some more backstory, right? But it goes back to the 18th century. It's set among Comanche. They finally nail the colonialism commentary by kind of setting up like the French um, colonizers and invaders as a a third um, sort of grouping in the film, right? And not good actors in in the storyline. And um, the fact that it was also made available in both English and in Comanche, there's so many, and with, with with, it's kind of like, um, Ellen Ripley, but without being saddled by some of the the white woman tropes, um, because it's actually um, Naru is is a Comanche woman who's trying to make stake her claim as a warrior among her people, and I just well, you can tell by the way I'm talking about. It. I just loved it. <laughs> <laughs> I was honestly really nervous about this movie because I remembered 
the older Predator movies, and I was afraid that it would lean into stereotypes, and I had not read a lot about it. Um, so I was like, am I going to be really, am I setting myself up for disappointment? Am, am I going to come out of this like agitated and annoyed? And I was so happy. Like it is, I agree. Like a lot of the Predator movies, like the Predator franchise for me has always been a bit muddy in terms of like what they're trying to get across. Like Alien has this sort of clear message across the films, at least like most of them. Uh, but Predator from the jump sort of was like, I don't really know what it like. Is this just a straight up action movie? Like no moral at the end of the story, nothing deeper than that. But watching the newest, like, it was a different experience, a wholly different experience. And I loved it too. Yeah, yeah. I, I I hope that it sets a new standard for thinking about what can be done um, in terms of both what's in front of the camera and also behind the camera. Um, yes. And, you know, they actually filmed, I believe, on a, a Nakota, um, in a Nakota community, I think in Manitoba in Canada. Um, so also really tying all of it together of ensuring that it's not storytelling about people, right, or troping about people, but actually storytelling by and for um, people that others are welcome to to be, you know, partake of, right? Um, mm -hmm. Like I, I think that sometimes people have this idea that if there's filmmaking that is made with a particular group of people in mind or books that are written with a particular group of people in mind, that that means it's somehow exclusionary. And I think people should question like, why are you paranoid about that? Are there precedents for people being exclusionary in that way? <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like maybe you're paranoid because that's something that you tend to do to people. I don't know. Um, but I, I think that this just like set a completely new standard. And the other thing is, is that the film was so successful that it yes. will be hard to argue that there's no audience for this kind of filmmaking, which I think is something I hear my friends who work in Hollywood, um, friends of color who work in Hollywood, who are just like sick and tired of hearing that there's no audience for this. You hear the same thing about Own Voices books, like, oh, there's yes. no audience for that. And it's like, actually, for example, Black women are one of the most, um, one of the biggest readerships in the country, right? So write books that Black women want to read and they will do well. So I, I really think, you know, this movie had a lot of pressure on it for the reasons that you identify. And I think they nailed it. Yeah, I absolutely agree. My hackles rose. Uh, they always do when I, you know, with the whole there's no audience for it thing. Like I have seen that happen to comic book series, to books, to movies that are centering people of color by people of color and it just uh makes me so annoyed at everything i think one thing i will say also is that the way that the predator movies are written i think that i might have enjoyed them more as short stories because i always feel like they kind of drag on like there's a lot of like middle stuff that i kind of like don't care about Although I actually did find The Predator interesting, and I think Olivia Munn was underappreciated for her performance in The Predator as um, as a scientist. And we actually don't see like a woman of color scientist kind of featured in the foreground in the way that she was. Um, so that, that part was really cool in The Predator. Um, but I think a lot of these stories I actually would have preferred as a short story. And I think Prey was the first one where I was like, yes, this was one I needed to see on yeah. film. Yeah. Ah, it was so good. And there are some Predator books out there. I have never read a single one. Whoa, really? I didn't know about this. Okay, interesting. <laughs> I, I looked it up because I was like, I know I've seen something about, you know, they took the franchise and franchised with it. They just like, well, let's put it in books. Um, and I, I don't know, like they might be actually good. I, I have not checked them out. I know there are alien books as well. Um, 
and I've heard some of them are actually good. So something new to read. Put it on your endless stack of books. Um, Why I'm are actually, you doing this to me? That's like I don't I, <laughs> <laughs> like you know I have a book problem. Oh my god, that's so rude. <laughs> I literally was picturing your couch covered in books as I said that. <laughs> so rude. <laughs> I'm actually going to skip my next one since we're running out of time and I want you to be able to talk about Pantheon. And I have also, I was going to talk about the Dragon Con costume recap, but I've talked about it on this show. It was just one of my favorite things that I read this year. I'll leave the link in the show notes in case you missed the episode where we talked about it in the news segment. But if you want to see a bunch of amazing costumes made and worn by people of color, I would click that link. Uh, but I'm going to throw it back to you for a quick highlight on Pantheon. Yeah, I just want to plug the animated series on AMC+. Plus. I'm not sure if it's on AMC. It's definitely on AMC+, Plus, the streaming service, Pantheon, which is based on three short stories by Ken Liu. So they appeared in the Apocalypse Triptych, and the stories were the gods will not be chained, the gods will not be slain, and the gods have – did I write that down wrong? Because I wrote down the gods <laughs> have done died in vain, which I think can – I like it. <laughs> maybe that's maybe that's actually the title, and I'm fine, but that I don't know. I, am, I mean, it's, it's a really fascinating – um, science fiction series that centers a 14-year-old girl who is dealing with the loss of her father. Um, and the the cast is fantastic. Daniel Day Kim um, stars as her father. And I, I, I want to avoid explaining exactly how he comes into play. Um, you know, flashbacks are obviously one possibility. Um, mm -hmm. She's grappling with the death of her father and really what they ultimately have to grapple with in the show is changing technology um, and the use of actual people as artificial intelligence, which I realize sounds weird, right? Because we're not artificial, we're real intelligence or whatever the, the counterpart of that would be, right? Um, but they're basically dealing with um, a situation where um, there's technology that allows them to extend people beyond their bodies, right? Um, I will say that I I took a particular interest in this show, not just because, you know, the storyline's compelling. Um, it's another example of an own voices story. It's an adaptation from, from short stories, and it's always interesting to see that stuff. It's also interesting to see it in animated form as opposed to them doing um, live action. Um, but also the anti-hero in the show is named Chanda. And that oh. was my first time seeing a character named Chanda in a show. That is amazing. <laughs> and he's kind of an Elon Musk character, which is sort of terrible. But also, oh my goodness, no. <laughs> but you know, also, I think like the other thing was is that I couldn't think of an example where I had seen Indian people portrayed in animated television, like. Indians in oh. India um, that I hadn't seen. You know, we grew up with like the the racist crap on The Simpsons, right? Yeah. Um, so even like that alone, I was like, whoa! <laughs> like I like I Keanu Reeves style I, Matrix. Whoa! <laughs> yeah. I can't. Yeah, I can't think of an Indian character in animation either. So I definitely have to check out Pantheon because, I mean, we talk about Ken Liu all the time on this show, like so prolific and just seemingly made for adaptation, uh, his works and Pantheon sounds right. I have been loving like all of the new animated, like there's been animated anthology style series um, also solar opposites i'm if you haven't watched oh, solar yeah, opposites on right. hulu 
Oh you my told god. Me about that. So hilarious has two storylines about aliens. It's like if I it's I don't know what what would be I guess it's sort of like if Futurama was better. Sorry to be <laughs> Futurama fans. <laughs> I've seen it. I still – well, I have not seen it. I've seen it on um, – is it on Hulu? Yeah, it's on Hulu. It yeah. I've seen it on Hulu and sometimes uh, when I finish a show, it'll automatically start playing for me. So I think the universe or Hulu's algorithm is telling me I should watch it at last. I'm but, I'm telling you you should watch it. That's okay. – I'm telling you. <laughs> well, that's all the plug I need for that. Uh, she never that, listens to me just for the record <laughs> I have I have in fact listened a few times I am certain of that I just can't okay. think of the okay. last time. yeah exactly exactly <laughs> my memory fails me <laughs> well that brings us to the end of the show I feel like we had we probably could have talked about all of the things we consumed this year for like the next five hours but we gotta end somewhere and the end is here thank you so much for joining me today chanda i'm so happy to have you on the show always yeah thanks Uh, for having me yeah and thank you all so much for listening. SFF Yeah is sound edited by Caitlin Brame. Many thanks to her for making us sound great each and every episode. For more recommendations, check out bookriot.com. You can find our other podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen. Thank you so much for listening again. Remember, if you have any holiday gifting questions you want us to answer on the show, email us at sffyeah at bookriot.com. You can just also email us about your favorite pop culture SFF thing you've consumed this year. We are always fascinated to hear what you've been reading and watching and listening to. And if you have a moment, please review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It helps people find us and we love to see what you think about the show. Uh, Where can everybody find you online, Chanda? Uh, Yeah, so my Twitter handle is a little bit annoying to spell out. So I will just say you can look for Chanda Prescott Weinstein Twitter. It will come up. You can also find me at Chanda.Prescott.Weinstein on Instagram if you like photos of chess, flowers, and Pilates and Star (laughs) Trek stuff. And books and books. I do do post about books, of course. All the time. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Williams. That's S-C-A-I-N-A-B Williams. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye.